Friends, if you'd like to join with me as we open our Bibles and have our first Bible reading, which will be Numbers chapter 16, reading from verses 1 to 11 and then 28 to 35. You'll find that on page 106 of the Black Pew Bibles. Numbers chapter 16 from verse 1. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kothan, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself. But now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? And then we move to verse 28. Then Moses said, This is how you will know the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all these things, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, 
the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out of the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Our second reading tonight is from the book of Jude, which is on page 866 of your pew Bibles. So starting from uh, verse 1 through to 19. 866. Jude, a servant of Christ of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men, who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only Sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit in Balaam, into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up in their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesies about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends... Remember that what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Well, it's not the most uplifting reading, is it, the old Jude? 
<clears throat> but I'll tell you what was uplifting, and that was our Easter services here at Church by the Bridge. Weren't they just great? You, you couldn't have walked out of this church on Good Friday without knowing that the blood of Jesus has washed away your sins, that you can be forgiven, that you can be friends with God. And Good Sunday, death could not hold Jesus in the grave. He is risen to new life. He promises you eternal life if you trust in him. Great salvation, great messages that we proclaimed over Easter. You know what Jude's message to us tonight? His message is, if that salvation matters to you, then you need to fight for it. You must contend. That's our big theme over the next two weeks as we look at this letter of Jude. We are kept by God as we contend for the faith. Well, uh, I presume that you noticed that it was very heavy reading. Uh, And it's heavy because the stakes are high. Just this weekend, um, the 2012 Global Atheists Convention is taking place down in Melbourne. Friends, as you leave church today, the Christian faith is under attack. But actually, Jude's warning is much more disturbing. Jude warns us that it was as you came into church tonight that the Christian faith is under attack. Because he warns us in verse 4 that certain people whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. The great danger to the church, Jude warns, will come from inside the church. And church history testifies about it again and again. Take, for example, uh, in around 320 AD, a guy by the name of Arius, a bishop in the church. Arius began teaching that Jesus was not divine. He was quite sneaky in the way that he taught about it because he wrote songs, catchy jingles that would get in people's heads uh, that would, that would um, propagate his heresy. Fortunately for us, the saints of his day contended with him. They contended and they got together and wrote the Nicene Creed. Uh, but tragically, Arius' beliefs, well, they lingered on. Uh, They took root. You see, Arius, he changed the message. He changed the faith. And so today, there are 19 million people who aren't trusting that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to make them right with God. No, these people are now trusting in themselves and they're following Jesus' example, trying to reach up to God by their own righteous living. We know them as the Jehovah's Witness Church. Brothers and sisters, the stakes are high. If we believe Jesus' words, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, then we must contend for this faith. Have a listen to Paul's warning to the Ephesian church in Acts 20, 28. He says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, 
Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with prayers. Paul spent three years. Isn't it right that we should spend two weeks being warned by Jude to contend for the faith? I'm going to lead us in prayer as we seek to do just that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Thank you that he gave up his life to save ours. And rising to new life, he's ascended to your right hand. And thank you that he has promised eternal life to those who trust in him. God, this faith is precious. Thank you that you have protected it throughout the ages. We are confident that you will protect it into the future. And we ask that now you will show us the role that we can play contending for our true faith in this generation. Amen. Well, I've got three questions that I would like us to ask ourselves as we look through the book of Jude. First, I want us to ask, what are we contending for? I've always considered the things that you contend for, they're the things you could be bothered to write a letter of protest about. Uh, my wife and I, we, when we got our first pram, we got sold a dud. And, uh, and it always went left. So we contended with this pram company. And we contended until one of their reps came to our house. We got a new pram. I know a lot of people at the moment, they are contending for the Marriage Act. Uh, do you know that after our last building update given here at Church by the Bridge, the overwhelming feedback that the building team received was not thank you for the amazing hard work that you've put in, but contention. There was contention about the pews. People not wanting the pews to be removed. You know, it is okay, it is okay to contend for some of these things. But let's make sure, brothers and sisters, that our best efforts are spent contending as Jude encourages us. Verse 3, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. It's a great statement, isn't it? We are to contend for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. What does that statement teach us about the faith for which we're meant to contend? Well, at first it teaches us that around the time that Jude was writing this letter, probably about 60 AD of the first century, at that time there was already an established body of truths that was held by the believers everywhere that Jude refers to as the faith. And we've been really greatly helped by saints throughout the ages who've put the faith into concise writing. Uh, things like the Apostles' Creed, a summary of the Apostles' teaching, was written down and it was said by people before they got baptised to affirm the faith that they held. The Apostles' Creed was known in its day as the rule of faith. While the faith which we still proclaim today, it was given once for all. People love new things. Christians love new things. Uh, we love new preachers. We love new movements, new books, new CDs. 
it's okay to be into new things, isn't it? As long as those new things are preaching the old faith. Because it's the old faith that we need to hold on to. It can seem a bit funny, can't it, standing up and proclaiming creeds written 1,900 years ago. But we're never to move on from the old faith. Because this faith was given by the apostles as commissioned by Jesus. This book that we're reading from tonight, it's a closed book. It's not open to change. It's not open to improvement. And it's certainly not open to compromise. This precious faith, once for all given, has been entrusted, entrusted to us. Do you know that the reason that we are sitting here and the reason we teach one another and sing to one another that salvation is found in Jesus alone, we're learning that from the Bible, is because of faithful Christian men and women in Australia who have contended for the faith. Next Easter, next Easter, don't you pray that we will get together and proclaim that salvation is found in Jesus alone again. Or in 20 years' time, uh, when there's 30 Church by the Bridge services, don't you pray that they will still sing that last song that we sang, that Jesus is the reason for the hope that we have. Uh, 130 years from now, wouldn't it be tragic if this building is still not standing? Because we failed to hand on this faith to the next generation. And they, their, their children, lost hold of the faith. We are stewards of the faith in this generation. It's been entrusted to us. And if we want those who are going to come after us to keep walking in the faith, then we need to be faithful and contend for it in our day. Whose responsibility is that? Is it the archbishops? Is it the ministry staffs? No. Our statement concludes, this faith has been once for all entrusted to the saints. Go back with me to verse 1b. His letter was written to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father. If you know that you've been called by God, if you know that you are loved by God, then you are to contend for the faith. Jude summons you to stand up and take your place. It's a, a great old hymn that doesn't get a lot of rotation these days. But soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on. The faith is under attack and souls are at risk. Our second question we want to ask tonight is, who are we contending against? It's probably more helpful before we answer that question to think about another question. Who aren't we contending with? We're not contending with those who like different types of music. We're not contending with those who insist on hymns or those who insist on drums and, and guitars. We're not contending with those who get baptized differently. We're not contending with those who pray in tongues. These are different expressions of the same faith. Who do we want to contend with? Who are we called to contend with? We're called to contend with those who, verse 4, end of verse 4, deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Well, how do we discern who they are? All week I've been, I've been racking my brain trying to give these people a title or a label 
I want to call them false teachers. I want to call them godless people. But I think that's Jude's point. He hasn't given them a label or title because they don't fit under a label or title. No, verse 4 tells us that they secretly slip in amongst us. Helpfully though, verse 4 does give us five marks, five marks of things we can look out for. Let's read verse 4 together. For certain men, Jude warns, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Mark 1. They are predicted. God's not surprised that these people are part of our number. And we shouldn't be surprised either. It might come to you as a relief that not everyone in Jesus' church belongs to Jesus. Perhaps you've had interactions with people whom you have thought, surely this isn't right. Verse 4 tells us that their condemnation was written about long ago. Come and have a look in verse 14 where Jude says that as far back as Enoch, the seventh from Adam, who prophesied about these men, right through to verse 17 where where the apostles warned that scoffers would come, Jude has said throughout the ages, God's people have been warned that there will be scoffers amongst us. I remember uh, someone mentioning uh, just off the cuff one night that this isn't really a problem for our church. But actually the Bible teaches otherwise, doesn't it? The Bible teaches that any church that is growing is a church worth opposing in Satan's books. And so we need to be on our guard because Mark 2, these people are creeping. Verse 4 continues, they have secretly slipped in among you. It's not really the, uh, the done thing these days to claim to be the Antichrist. I'm not sure last time you, you met someone who was. No, people are much more subtle than that these days. We read earlier about Korah's rebellion. Korah had a rightful place amongst God's people. Korah had seen all the miracles of the Exodus. Korah was a leader. But because as Jude describes them in verse 16, these men are grumblers and fault finders. Because they rejected the authority of Moses and Aaron, these men were destroyed. Does that scare you? scares me. I'm not sure the last time you might have had a conversation like this over supper. Long service, wasn't it? So many songs at the start. Why do they insist on us singing so long? And did you hear about that 12% giving thing? Do they think we're kids? We need a target to aim for? You know what? Verse 16, let's read it. These men are grumblers and fault finders. Verse 8, these men reject authority. Verse 10, they speak abusively against what they don't understand. Before we get too busy thinking about the last time you had a conversation with someone like that, let's remember Jesus' instructions. Plank out of your own eye before you go looking for a speck 
in your brother or sisters. The best way, the very best way to identify these people is to make sure we've got a church who are nothing like them. A church where these people will find no audience amongst us. They won't find an ear who is happy to hear their grumbling or their fault finding. But it's not just here at church, is it? Because remember Arius? He was writing songs. These people are probably writing some of the books that we read. They're on online discussion forums. And I have absolutely no doubt that these people are on Christian dating websites. They are secretive and sneaky, and Jude implores us to be warned and to be different. Mark 3, they are godless. Godly people bear fruit for God. Godless people entice you away from him. They leave you empty and unsatisfied. Let's read together Jude's damning six-fold description of what these people are like. Verse 12 and 13, let's read. These people are blemishes at your love feast. They are shepherds who feed only themselves. Clouds without rain. Trees without fruit. Wild waves foaming up to nothing. Wandering stars sparkling for a while, then disappearing into the darkness. Are you bearing fruit for God? Are the conversations that you have over supper, before church, perhaps when you have Christian brothers and sisters to your home, Are they leaving people encouraged, provoked, spurred on in their Christian faith? Mark 4. These people are sensual. Verse 4 continues. These godless men change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. You know when work takes you out to, to lunch at a fancy restaurant? And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a great restaurant. And you know that if you were paying, you'd probably go for the risotto. But because work's paying, you're hitting up the oysters and the rump steaks and, and, and maybe even a, a, a cocktail. The grace of God, the grace of God was so scandalous in its day. God's forgiveness so complete and so free that people started asking this question. They said, should we just keep on sinning? so that God's grace to us would abound even more? God's grace is complete and final. He promises to forgive you of every sin, past, present, and future. And God's grace is meant to make us go, wow, what amazing forgiveness. I should never offend a God who loves me so much like that again. But what do we really think? We think, wow. What amazing forgiveness. I can sin sexually. I can be greedy with my money. I can be rude to people I don't like and I can ask for forgiveness next year. God's grace, Titus chapter 2, verse 12, tells us that God's grace has been given to us to teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Consider Cain, who Jude spoke of in verse 11. When your blood boils like Cain's, Does God's grace free you to let the anger run loose, knowing you can say sorry? Or does it free you to show self-restraint and say no? Well, the fifth and final mark of these people is that they are heretical. It sounds a lot more extreme than it is. Heresy is just as verse 4 concludes, these people deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. 
You've seen it, haven't you? People who always question the authority of the Bible. They're constantly wrestling with the big issues, the big issues of the faith. But simple commands like do not get drunk on wine, simple commands like flee sexual immorality, these are just fobbed off. Uh, These people, uh, if you ever challenge them, they don't respond humbly. Instead, they turn the issue around on you and make the problem something about you. How are you going making sure that you are submitting your life to Jesus, our only sovereign and Lord? Balaam. Balaam was led astray by his greed. Is Jesus getting the final say on how you're spending your money? Or Korah, who we read about before, Korah rebelled against those whom God had put over him. How are you going submitting to those whom God has put in authority in this church? Well, we're creeping into our third and final question for the night, and that is, how should we contend? We're going to spend a bit more time looking at this next week. But for now, the very best way we can contend for the faith is making sure we're nothing like those godless people and making sure that we delight in the faith. And that was Jude's intention. Before he, he got uh, and urged God's people to contend for the faith, he urged them to delight in the faith. And we probably just skip over it, don't we? So let's look at it in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Called, loved, and kept. Three great words that are well worthy of your contemplation and meditation this week. Called. Not sure if you can remember back to primary school days when uh, everyone used to stand on the wall and the two captains got to choose their teams. I don't know where you fit in on those occasions, but in a spiritual sense, you have been called up to be on God's team. What a privilege. What a privilege that God chose you before your birth to be on his team. And why did he want you on his team? Well, it's not because you're a star player. No, it's because he wanted to pour out his love on you. He wanted to show you the extravagance of his love. Uh, I have a a friend who has seven children. He's a bit of a, a parental hero of mine. And so I asked him when I became a dad, I said, what should I do? What's your best piece of advice for me? And he said, just make sure you keep telling your boy that daddy loves him. And it's great advice. He got it from his heavenly father. And I'm not sure the last time that you got told that you were loved. But the Bible is oozing with love for you. God called you to be on his team so that he could say to you, I love you. You are called by God and you are loved by God. And finally, you are kept by Jesus Christ. When was the last time you had to do something you weren't capable of doing? For me, it was Wednesday. My wife, Bridget, again, she called in a handyman to do all the jobs around the house that I couldn't do. And this was a huge insult to my manhood because I've just bought a drill. (laughs) And in a similar sense, there is a 
there is something that you need to do, that you must do, that you simply are incapable of doing. And that is enduring in the Christian faith to your life's end. Isn't it great to know that it's not up to you? It's up to Jesus. And he promises that he will keep you. Remember his great promises in the book of John where he talks about himself as the sheep and us, us, as himself as the shepherd and us as his sheep? And he says, God the Father gives my sheep into my hand. He says, when they're in my hand, I will never lose them. Friends, we could not be in safer hands. We are called, we are loved, and we are kept by God. Did you notice that all those words are passive? They're nothing that you or I have done. They're everything that God has done for us. What a great salvation we share. What are we to do with this great salvation? What should we do with this great faith? Not just sit on our hands and enjoy it, but to stand up and contend for it, to make sure that we're not the only ones who know about this. And here's the great news, that as you contend for the faith, victory could not be more certain. Have a listen to the language that Jude uses to describe God's victory over those who are contending against the faith. Verse 4, Jude says they are condemned. Verse 5 and 10, they are destroyed. Verse 6, they are kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains. Verse 7, punished with eternal fire. Verse 13, reserved for blackest darkness. Verse 15, judged and convicted before Jesus and all his holy angels. Friends, God has won the war. And he calls us to go out and fight daily battles for the faith. You could not be in safer hands. We're going to conclude tonight by contending for the faith. We're going to do it by affirming the faith that we hold in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. So, brothers and sisters... As Jude has urged us to contend for this faith, church by the bridge, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Please grab a seat.